Chapter Two of Hands of Iceland by Victor Hugo, translated by Abby Langdon Alger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sonia. Chapter Two. I will sit by you while you tell me some pleasant tale to pass away the time. Maturin, Bertram. The reader is already aware that we are at Trondheim, one of the four chief cities in Norway, although not the residence of the viceroy. At the date of this story, 1699, the Kingdom of Norway was still united to Denmark and governed by a viceroy whose seat was in Bergen, a larger, handsomer, and more southerly town than Trondheim, in spite of the disagreeable nickname attached to it by the famous Admiral Tromp. Trondheim offers a pleasant prospect as you approach it by the fjord to which the city gives its name. The harbour is quite large, although it cannot be entered easily in all weathers. At this time it resembled nothing so much as a long canal, lined on the right by Danish and Norwegian ships, and on the left by foreign vessels, as prescribed by law. In the background lay the town, situated on a well-cultivated plain, and crowned by the lofty spires of the cathedral. This church, one of the finest pieces of Gothic architecture, as we may judge from Professor Schoening's book, so learnedly quoted by Spiagodry, which describes it as it was before repeated fires had laid it waste, bore upon its highest pinnacle the Episcopal Cross, the distinctive sign that it was the cathedral of the Lutheran Bishop of Trondheim. Beyond the town, in the blue distance, were the slender white peaks of the Kjölen Mountains, like the sharp-pointed ornaments on an antique crown. In the middle of the harbour, within cannon-shot of the shore, upon a mass of rocks lashed by the waves, rose the lonely fortress of Munkholm a gloomy prison which then held a prisoner celebrated for the splendour of his long prosperity and for his sudden disgrace. Schumacher, born in an obscure station, was loaded with favours by his master, then hurled from the chair of the Lord High Chancellor of Denmark and Norway to the traitor's bench, dragged to the scaffold, and thence by royal clemency cast into a lonely dungeon at the extreme end of the two kingdoms. His creatures had overthrown him, but gave him no right to inveigh against their ingratitude. How could he complain if the steps gave way beneath him, which he had built so high for his own aggrandizement only? The founder of the Danish nobility, from the depth of his exile, saw the grandees whom he had created share his own dignities between them. Count Dahlefeld, his mortal enemy, succeeded him as Chancellor. General Arensdorf, as Earl Marshal, distributed military titles and Bishop Spollison took the position of inspector of universities. The only one of his foes who did not owe his rise to him was Count Ulrich Frederick Guldenlev, natural son of King Frederick III, and now Viceroy of Norway. He was the most generous of all. Toward the sombre rock of Munkholm, the boat of the youth with the black plume now slowly moved. The sun sank rapidly behind the lonely fortress, whose walls cut off its last beams, already so horizontal that the peasant on the distant eastern hills of Larsin might see beside him on the heather the faint shadow of the sentinel, keeping his watch on Munkholm's highest tower. End of chapter 2